Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll look first at the newly released results from an Australian Royal Commission investigation into Cardinal George Pell, which found that he knew about sexual abuse by priests in his diocese early in his career. Then, we'll talk about the changing face of the church in Italy. We'll look at the plans for reopening masses and cover the surprise appointment of a new bishop in one of Italy's most important dioceses. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from sunny New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, Colleen. I'm glad you have the sunshine there. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing your weather update. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, life is looking a bit better here. They're going to open shops and uh, restaurants and bars. It seems next Monday. I'm so glad. Let's get into our first story, which is that the Australian Royal Commission that uh, examined institutional responses to child sexual abuse, particularly in the Catholic Church, finally released its findings on Cardinal George Pell last week. Um, That was a commission that had interviewed Pell in 2016, but uh, if you remember, they redacted much of their report during Pell's trial and appeal process. They didn't want it to influence anything that was going on. Um, that commission found out, we've, we've just learned, that Cardinal Pell knew about priests abusing children in the Ballarat Diocese as early as 1973, so a year after he began working in that diocese. It also found that Pell was involved in transferring pedophile priests between parishes, which included Gerald Risdale, who is Australia's most notorious abuser priest, and he is now in prison for hundreds of child abuse offenses. So, Jerry, uh, Cardinal Pell said that he was surprised by this commission's findings. He maintains that he didn't know about Risdale. Were you surprised by this? Well, I wasn't surprised by their conclusions. I had followed the hearings in Rome because the the Royal Commission held a video conference to hear Pell, Cardinal Pell in Rome. He, he didn't go back because for health reasons. Back to Australia. He said he was advised by the doctor not to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've followed the various questionings, the testimonies, and uh, I was particularly struck at the end by the conclusion of both the president of the Royal Commission and also the chief, I don't know if you'd call it prosecutor, but let's call it prosecutor. They both uh, summarized their conclusions at the end of the hearing in Rome. Mm -hmm. And the two of them concurred. They said, basically, Cardinal, uh, what you say is not credible. Your fellow priests knew about the abuse cases. The teachers in the school knew. Your bishop knew when he was in Ballarat. He said, even in the pub, they were talking about this. It's not credible that you couldn't have known anything. They also spoke about uh, Melbourne, and again, it was the same conclusion, but in relation to another case, they're effectively saying they didn't believe him. They're effectively saying, you know, what you're saying is not true, simply not credible. That's what's the, the words. Does this have any, um, you know, possible consequence for Pell, or is it just that they have now, you know, issued the results of the findings and, and we won't hear anything more about it? Some of the Australian media have said he could be prosecuted 
for telling lies to the commission. Mm -hmm. But most people believe it will just end there. There won't be any prosecution. They, they said the Victoria Police was looking into the conclusions of the Royal Commission. But I, I think the general view is that the High Court, having reached its judgment about Cardinal Pell and dismissed the case against the charges against him, released him from prison, saying he was not to be classified as a child abuser for those charges. I don't think that it's likely there will be any further charges as a result of the Royal Commission. The Royal Commission doesn't make charges. It's up to others to, they could refer something to the public prosecutor. They didn't. Got it. Um, now, when Cardinal Pell's conviction was overturned, uh, we were talking about how we were still waiting on two follow-ups. There was this Royal Commission report, and then there was the possibility of the Vatican investigation that had kind of been put on hold. Um, do we have any news on if that'll go forward? I know we're in kind of a strange time. Yeah, we're in a strange time because the Vatican judicial process has been put on hold at this moment. Uh, but also, I understand that they have not made any formal comment on the Cardinal Pell investigation. They have not said anything. Uh, some think that since he was spent time in prison, etc., to reopen that particular uh, investigation would be like uh, charging him on the same offense twice. So we don't know. We don't know. That's my answer. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, it's not a very satisfying answer, but it's... Well, until the Vatican makes a formal statement, we are all in the dark. All right. Well, we will keep our listeners up to date on if the Vatican issues such a formal statement and also any other news that we receive about Cardinal Pell here on Inside the Vatican. And Jerry, I'm sure you're reporting at americamagazine.org. For a second story, we spoke a few weeks ago about how the Italian bishops and the government had clashed about uh, reopening public masses in Italy. They've finally reached an agreement, so they agreed that public masses will be allowed to be celebrated in Italy starting on May 18th. So there will be some requirements. Uh, churchgoers will have to wear face masks, they'll have to stay a meter apart. The building and any objects used in the liturgy will have to be sanitized between services. Um, they'll skip the sign of peace, and the priest will have to use hand sanitizer and wear a mask and gloves for a communion. Um, Jerry, my first question for you is, is, how was this agreement reached? Well, it was pretty easy, because uh, you remember some weeks ago, we said that there, there was a clash between that when the Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte came out with his statement saying that, yes, you can have 15 people at a funeral, but not yet, we don't have uh, masses. Uh, immediately, almost immediately afterwards, the Secretariat of the Bishops' Conference came out with a statement really challenging harshly the, the government's position. We now know that that statement was provoked, especially by a sector within the Bishops' Conference, who have in the past clashed a lot with the government, and who were really kind of... Uh, I wouldn't say itching for a fight, but they, 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 they were—they uh, really wanted to challenge the government. 
Now, when you say sector here, you're not using it in the same sense that the Vatican uses sector to mean like office, right? Like you mean more of a loose group of bishops? A group of bishops, yes, within the conference. Yeah. I think in every conference you have one group and some in one position, some in another. Uh, this was a kind of a more of a minority group who've in the past taken strong line with the government in the past. So after this statement, uh, the Pope uh, came out and made very clear that he thought the, the church should move carefully, prudently, and also support the government. He had a meeting with the president of the Bishops' Conference, Cardinal Bassetti, whom he had appointed as president. And afterwards, Cardinal Bassetti made quite clear that the Bishops' Conference was not really challenging the government, that they were understood the government was trying to protect the lives of people. And he said, we'll reach an agreement. Well, they did last week. Uh, and as you said earlier, uh, there are quite a lot of uh, conditions. Right. Do you think that with all these conditions, people will, will actually come? Well, if I were to judge by what I have seen this week, there's been a certain opening this week in Rome, this past week. And I was surprised to see that not that many people have gone on the streets. People are afraid, Colleen. People are afraid of a second wave of the coronavirus after the first one is controlled. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how Pope Francis is streaming uh, his daily mass. A number of parishes have switched to virtual liturgies as well, or at least live streamed liturgies. Um, and I wonder, you know, as public masses are allowed to reopen, but there's still this question of whether people will, you know, be willing to attend, be willing to put themselves, you know, out there. Uh, is there any chance that, that the Pope's masses will continue to be streamed? Do we know? No, I, I know now for certain that the Pope's Masses, it, the Vatican hasn't announced it yet, but I think it will announce it today or tomorrow. The Pope's Masses will end the transmitted Mass by television, which has more than a million people participating, will end next Monday, May 18. On that day, which is the anniversary of the birth of John Paul II, the Pope will celebrate Mass at the tomb of John Paul II. and. After that, since Italy will be able to have masses with uh, uh, congregation, even a small one, we will see. Other places, I think, in Germany, which have had the masses, have been said they've been surprised that perhaps less than half of the people they expected have turned up. So I, myself, my feel, Colleen, I, we have to see when the day comes, my feel is that many people will be hesitant. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You mentioned this uh, talk about how funerals can resume, uh, and there will be a number of funerals that have to be held for priests and religious who died of coronavirus in Italy. I, I was wondering if we could check in on, do you know how many priests and religious have died during the pandemic in Italy? We know that more than a hundred diocesan priests have died. We don't know the number of religious priests. In other words, members of religious religious orders or uh, missionary orders, etc. But uh, it could be much more. And what is the big question mark, and many people are asking, how many sisters, how many nuns have actually, women religious, have actually died? Because we know for certain that the women's religious orders in Italy, and there, have, there are many of them, have a really elderly population. 
And of course, you know, in 1350, when they had the Black Plague in Rome and in, in the country, many of the religious orders were wiped out. Mm. Very few were left. And so you had many convents, monasteries with very few people. And some, then they began taking in almost anybody who came. And that created its own problems. So, But there is a field today that uh, perhaps a lot of women religious have died, passed away in, in this thing. But we don't have any statistic. Uh, many of them have preferred to keep the information to themselves. Um, so, Jerry, we'll keep our listeners up to date on, you know, how, how this maybe ends up shaping the face of the Italian church, both in terms of religious orders, but also church attendance. This is going to be a big question going forward. Uh, and I'm sure that we'll be talking about that more here on Inside the Vatican. Sono onorato di comunicare che il Santo Padre Francesco ha nominato come arcivescovo dell'Arcidiocesi il reverendissimo padre Marco Tasca. All right, for our last story today, uh, I want to talk about uh, this surprise appointment that Pope Francis made. He appointed Marco Tasca, who is a Franciscan, as the Archbishop of Genoa in northern Italy. Uh, so uh, Father Tasca, now Archbishop Tasca, succeeds Cardinal Angelo Bascagno, who was president of the Italian Bishops' Conference and whose resignation that Pope Francis accepted on Saturday. Um, Jerry, you wrote that this appointment was a surprise, and I want to talk about that. But first, let's talk about who is this man, Marco Tasca? Well, he's a friar minor conventuals. I had to do some learning about this as well. Well, it's, it's one of the families of the Franciscans. And he, he actually joined, went to the junior seminary at the age of 11, I think, around the Padova, around the Padova area. And he's been in the order ever since. And for the 12 years up from 2007, to 2019, he was the minister general, in other words, the top leader of that family of the Franciscans. They say he's a very simple man. He's a psychologist. He trained in psychology. He's a very prayerful man, very down to earth, very much with the poor people. And uh, he's, he's the Francis style of bishop, the smell of the sheep. But he is also a man who knows how to govern. I mean, you're not going to get elected a second time for a six-year term of office by your own order if you're not able to govern. So why was this appointment such a surprise? Well, he was on really on nobody's list. And Geneva was one of those sees which normally carried a cardinal's hat. There were seven, eight sees, Venice, Palermo, Naples, Milan, Bologna, Florence, Rome, and Genoa. Right. So if you were named Archbishop here, you were pretty much automatically going to get a cardinal hat. And it was kind of a rung on the ladder. Yes, but you didn't simply move in there from nowhere. Father Tasca, he wasn't a bishop. Francis, he's redrawn the map, if I can say that, Colleen. Francis has redrawn the map of the Italian church. And he says, all those seas... Italy has a population of 60 million. At the last conclave, they had 28 cardinals. Brazil, the largest Catholic church in the community in the world, had 
Five. Right. Italians have been overrepresented for, you know, almost the whole history of the church. And we see that in who's become Pope, too. For centuries, for most of the history of the church. Yes, yes. Francis has reduced it. If there was a conclave in the morning, I think he would have 21 Italian cardinals. And the number goes down. So he's removed this idea that, you know, there are stepping stones to getting to higher positions. He doesn't like this idea of being ambitious. You go to a smaller diocese, then you've got an ambition to a bigger one and a bigger one. He does not like this idea. Secondly, he wants a certain style of bishop. He doesn't want princes. He doesn't want culture warriors. He, he doesn't want people who don't engage in dialogue. He wants people who reach out to people. He wants people who care for the poor, who who have simple lifestyles. And this now Archbishop-elect Tasca fits the identity of a Francis bishop. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. So on the one hand, we have the fact that he's filling this, uh, you know, traditional Italian see, this uh, diocese that that would ordinarily become a cardinal, but Francis has been pushing against that. You mentioned he's been choosing fewer Italians. On the other hand, he's very much in the Francis mold, which which are the type of people that he's been making cardinals. So it seems like kind of a toss-up whether he might eventually be made a cardinal or not. I, I would think it's unlikely, but we, you never know. Because, for example, the last time he only made one Italian cardinal, and that was uh, Matteo Zuppi, the uh, Archbishop of Bologna, and he made him cardinal, not because he's Archbishop of Bologna, but he saw him as a man who is well known in the country for his closeness to the poor, for his openness to people, for his reaching out, and also for his work he's done internationally for peace and trying to uh, conflict resolution, etc. And so he was a perfect fit, as it were, for the type of cardinal he wants. Uh, but uh, at the same time, Francis doesn't want really to increase the number of Italian cardinals. So this is why I, I said I wouldn't put my dollar on it. I think what we're seeing is that uh, Francis saw that the Italian church was also somehow losing its missionary thrust. And he's now trying to put in bishops to revitalize the church, to get them to see a new way of being church, a new way of reaching out to people. And this pandemic, in a curious way, is also redefining the church. I, not just in Italy, I think all over the world. It has now reached 187 countries. Right. But Italy is a very interesting microcosm. I mean, we were just talking about, you know, this question of the masses, we were talking about the loss of religious, how many people have died, and then also the changing face of the the cardinals and the leadership of the Italian church. And I think that that these are changes that we also see, you know, across the global church that that uh, you know have coincided with this pandemic, but also the way that Pope Francis has been changing the church. So it's it's a really interesting time um, in Italy, and also and also to see the way that the Catholic Church is changing. You know, each pope makes his own contribution at a point in history. And we're at a very particular moment in the history of the world and in an unprecedented situation. And uh, Francis is emerging more and more now as the spiritual leader in the world. And more and more people are listening, people who have not been churchgoers, 
And this is true in Italy. And I, I hear and I see, also read, that he's bringing people back to belief in God by how he's leading the church. And next Thursday, uh, we will have another big moment of prayer with the other religions of the world, each one praying in their own particular tradition, and Francis leading the Catholic and the Christian world in praying to God to remove this pandemic and to bring back life to the world. Mm -hmm. That's the interreligious day of prayer that we spoke about last week. That's happening on Thursday, May 14th. And this was the one that was organized uh, by this joint group of Catholic and Muslim leaders. Cherry, I appreciate the chance to get to talk with you, you know, and, and to have spoken with you over the last few years about the kind of slow arc of change in the church. It's, it's really interesting, and I appreciate getting to see it from your perspective. Well, good wishes to all our listeners. And uh, I hope in New York, the dawn appears soon. Yes, so do I. Thank you so much. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I. You can also email us your questions at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.